0: Hey, this is Billy Claudio. I'm the pastor of Oasis Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. And I hope you find freedom today through the gospel. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I have the privilege to speak today, and uh, Pastor Billy, along with several other other members of our congregation, are actually running in the Rock and Roll Marathon right now, of all days for it to rain, on his first 26.3-mile marathon. I think we got a picture back there. Uh, if you guys can throw that up, you'll see our crew there. Billy, Cole, Perry, Jen, and Nate Smith, and that's uh, Billy's niece, who... In, who Uh, actually inspired him several years ago to do a half marathon. I think this is going to be his uh, bucket list check mark, though, and he will be done with (laughs) marathons after today. There's a lot of training and intensity. Let's see. I'm tracking him right now. He is somewhere between the 13th and 20th mile, and his average pace is 941. Pretty impressive. So, yeah. So um, if you have nothing else to praise Jesus for this morning, praise him. You're not running a marathon. (laughs) Amen. Well, um, we're in this series called This Is Us. And that's really what we're talking about in the beginning of this year. uh, When Billy and I moved out here to plant Oasis, God put a vision on our heart. And the vision remains the same, but we're changing the wording of it so that it can become more simplified, easier for people to grasp. Grasp and understand where you are in the process so you know what your next steps are for what God would be doing in your life. And so uh, we're getting this from Ephesians chapter 1, our new vision—not new vision, but new wording, I should say. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation— In the knowledge of him, another translation says, to know him better. I pray that you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God or to know God better. And that's where we're getting the first part of our vision. We want people to know God, right? You remember, uh, it used to be we want people to be saved. So how do you know knowing God is not a one-time event, right? (laughs) You know, getting born again is that event, but knowing God is a continual process, of who he is. He's so wonderful and so vast. And so it's a continual thing to know God. But um, that's where we get that from, that you would grow in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of your heart are basically the way that you see things, the way that you view things, your paradigm of how you view life and our experiences in life, our belief systems that have been formed, all are a part of our uh, enlightenedness from our heart. We see things from a certain Point of view. And one of the uh, goals as we enter this journey with Christ, this relationship with Christ, is to know Him better and also to know the hope that He has called us to, that our hearts would be enlightened to that. Um, That you would also know the hope to which He has called you to. That's what you're supposed to do, which are the riches of the glorious inheritance in His saints. So basically, in a nutshell, Paul's saying, I pray that you would know him, know God. And uh, Billy mentioned this, that word is gnosko. It's not just knowing about God. It's an intimate relationship with God. Uh, Maybe think of someone you are very close with in relationship, and from the time you first met them to your relationship now, how that relationship has grown and developed. That intimacy um, is what God is wanting us to grow in with him. Secondly, we want to see people grow healthy, right? That's kind of your eyes of your heart being enlightened, that God would give you proper perspective, that he would help you work through your past hang-ups and habits and things that don't align with what he looks like, right? He wants us to look like him. How do you know? I say, thank God I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not yet where I want to be, right? I I look a little more like him today than than when I started serving him 40 years ago, but I don't look as much like him as I want to. And so that growing healthy is what are the habits, hang-ups, hurts in my life that God wants to heal and redeem? That's that part of our vision, to see people healed and set free, right? We want people to grow healthy, and we have a whole concept of spirit, soul, and body. We want you to be well, healthy, and whole, spirit, soul, and body, in accordance with what God promises in his word. And thirdly, we want you to discover your purpose. We want you to know what God has called you to. That's what Paul was praying over the church at Ephesus. And then lastly, to make a difference. So today, we're going to get into the third part of our vision is to discover your purpose. Um, And many people have asked me, is our motto changing loving God, loving life, and loving people? And the answer is no, because loving God, life, and a people and people, is the result of doing this vision, right? When we know God, grow healthy, discover our purpose, and are making a difference, we, the result of that is loving God, loving life, and loving people. Um, so today, we're going to talk about discovering your purpose. Mark Twain said he was—how um, many of you don't know who Mark Twain is? <laughs> okay, good, good, Mark Twain, some of the younger generation. Um, he was a, a comedian, <laughs> anyway— and many other things. I don't know what else was he. Uh, Mark Twain said, the two greatest days of your life is the day you were born and the day you discover the purpose you were born. A Russian author, I don't know how to say his name, but it looks like Fyodor Dostoevsky, says the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. In our relationship with God, there's basically three S's I want to give you just a uh, conceptualize this in a, so you can pack it up and take it home. First, God calls us to salvation. He calls us to a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. The next step after that is what uh, a biblical term called sanctification, which basically means the transformation process of you looking more like Jesus than what you currently look. That I want to be more holy. I want to be more righteous. I, it means to be set apart, right? So areas of my life that God is growing me in. Um, is that sanctification process. And then thirdly, what we're talking about today, he calls us to service. He calls us to serve him in some capacity. Um, Can I tell you, God's not wondering what to do with you today. You might have been an accident to your mama and daddy, but God did not fall off his throne because he knew you would be here. We see this in Psalm 139. It says, in the message paraphrase, it says, Oh yes, You shaped me first inside, then out. You turned me in my mother's womb. I'm sorry, you formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. I love through here how he's weaving spirit, soul, and body concepts, just who we are as a whole person. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd ever even lived a day. God's got your number. We see this in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. The Lord speaking to him, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That's that word set apart or sanctified you. I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I want to submit to you today that in the same way Jeremiah was known by God and predestined and appointed to be a prophet to the nations, so God before he formed you and he knew you and he developed a plan and a purpose for your life and it will be in that place that you find the most fulfillment. Revelation 13, I believe, references Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That tells us before God ever created this Planet, before he ever created this universe, that he knew man was going to fall and instituted a plan to form and fashion Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, so that he could be the redeemer of mankind. He became the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And again, in the same way God had a purpose for the life of Christ, the life of Jeremiah, and all the characters throughout the Bible, we see that God will also have a purpose for your life. God created you with a unique purpose and has equipped you, listen to me, equipped you already with everything you have need of to fulfill it, to accomplish that purpose. Um, It's already in you. Think about that. Uh, We just read Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. Jesus said to his disciples, everything that heaven has, everything my father has, my spirit is going to come and make it known to you. When you become born again through the relationship with Jesus Christ, you come alive. You are born again. And at that moment, the spirit of God takes up residency within inside of you and is deposited to you everything you need to accomplish the purpose God has placed in your life. Uh, a good example of this is the Death Valley. Anybody know where Death Valley is? It holds the world record, I think, back in 1913, the world record of, of the highest heat in the world of 134 degrees. So no one lives there. Nothing could grow there. Just a dead, desolate place. Um, but a phenomenon happened, and it's called the Superbloom. Anybody familiar with that? I think I have pictures. You have those pictures back there of the Death Valley? So, this is Death Valley, where I was just referencing. So, then this phenomenon happened where there was a super bloom where seven inches of rain fell and a super bloom happened. So, that's what it was, and that is what it became. So, looking at the previous slide, it looks pretty desolate, and everyone thought nothing could ever, no life could ever come from that desert place. But when the right conditions happened, The seed that was dead in the ground came alive and birthed forth something beautiful. In that same way, God has deposited into every person the seed that you need to bloom into the person he has called you to be. In this death valley, it it looked dead, but it literally was just dormant seed right? And I'm praying on this 21-day fast and praying, I am asking God to pour down the rain of his spirit on our church, that this would happen, that the seed that God has placed in you will come alive, and that we will be able to change the world for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? Uh, One person said of the super bloom, there are so many seeds out there just that were waiting to sprout, just waiting to grow. And in you is the same thing. Lots of seeds that God has planted in you just waiting to sprout, just waiting to grow. You've just got to get in the right conditions. So I want to call you today to bloom where you're planted. The old phrase, right? Bloom where you're planted. Uh, Psalm not. 92. I'm trying not to wear my glasses. I think it's 92. Yeah. Sign 92 says, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Those who are righteous are planted in the house of the Lord, and that's where they flourish. If this is where you're planted, and you online who are watching, maybe you're planted somewhere else. But wherever you're planted, I want to encourage you to bloom there. Because when you plant in the house of the Lord, there's when flourishing happens in your life. As I said before, you already have everything you need to do what you are called to do. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse number 5, it says, I give thanks, this is Paul speaking, to the Corinthian church. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Make note of that word grace, we'll come back to that. Verse 5, it says, that in every way, another translation says, you have been enriched in every way. So that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge. Verse 6: even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now first I want to talk about that enriched in every way phrase. That you've been enriched in the knowledge and all your knowledge and in all your speaking. That's that seed. Enriched in every way is like that seed that's planted on the inside of you. Another great example of this is kinetic energy and potential energy. Let's go back to what was it? Maybe junior high school, right? Uh, Kinetic energy energy. And potential energy. The potential energy is uh, wait. This this is written better than when I'll say it. One is the energy of what can be, and the other the energy of what is. Uh, potential energy is that energy which can be. Kinetic energy is that which is. A good example of this is an electric socket. Right? We have we have an electric socket up here that has. Potential energy, it's not active right now, but the potential to be active, how do you know if I have a two-year-old with a fork, what they want to do, right? It wants to stick it in the socket, but it has not yet learned that the potential energy in there, when it becomes kinetic, will shock you, right? That's like this gift, this enriched uh, seed that God has placed in you, that you have everything you need, and once it's activated, once it's in the right condition, it is put into motion to make a change, the word grace here in First Corinthians 1 is the word charis, uh, and it's used in different ways in the Greek language and in the New Testament. Uh, what is most familiar to us would be the grace of God towards us through salvation, right? In Romans 3, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That benevolent act of God towards us that we didn't deserve, his grace extended towards us, is most often the way Christians interpret that. But here, and a couple other places we're going to refer to today, it's talking about the gift that is within you. It's talking about a special endowment for ministry or an extraordinary divine empowerment for ministry. A gift, a seed that God's given you to be empowered for the purpose of his glory. It refers to something that you do that brings fulfillment to yourself and makes a difference in the lives around you. This grace that God has given us, it serves to bring fulfillment to us as well as serve the needs of those around us. Uh, come with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to dance down through this, skip some things for the sake of time, but you're welcome to go back and read it later. But Ephesians 4.1, again, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Everybody say a prisoner. prisoner. A prisoner. Now that doesn't sound like a good word, does it? Another translation says a bond servant. You know, uh, back in that day, they did have people who would pay off their debts through slavery. They'd become enslaved as a, as a result of owing a debt, and they would pay off that debt through their service. A bond servant was once that person had paid their debt off but still continued to stay and serve their master. So Paul's saying, I'm literally bound so i am choosing to follow my master as his servant— Um, You're going to be slave to somebody. Remember that song? Going to have to serve somebody. You might as well serve God. (laughs) You're going to be serving somebody, so let's serve our master. So Paul's recognized, I am a prisoner. I am a bondservant of Christ. I I fully belong to him. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Skip down to to verse number seven. He goes on and talks about some good attributes in there we don't have time to get into. Verse seven says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is that same grace talking about an endowment for ministry. Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Skip down to verse number 11. And it goes on to say, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up Of Christ. Now, this was what is called the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Typically, it would be someone who's called to full time ministry or maybe you would say vocational ministry, and that's how they serve the Lord. But there's not just five elements of the ministry in this passage. Notice there's a sixth element, and it is what? The saints. And the job of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to help the saints discover what it is God has called you to do so that you can be active in that gift. In fact, that is the primary goal of the fivefold ministry. So if you're wanting us to do everything, it's unbiblical. Right? I love doing everything. I would do everything if I could do it. I have done everything. I've been the janitor in the church. I've been the hospitality in the church. It wasn't that great because it's not my gift, but I did what I needed to to get it done. I have been the bookkeeper in the church. I've been the children's pastor in the church. I've been the youth pastor in the church. And you know what? If I could do it all, I'd do it all because I love serving Jesus and I love telling people about Jesus. But no one person is called to do it all. And we'll see that here. We're a body fitly joined together. Um, purpose is a powerful thing. Knowing your purpose is a very powerful thing. In uh, Craig Rochelle's book called It, um, he, he gives a story of how he was in Florida at a dog race. And I've never been to one. But uh, apparently they have a mechanical bunny rabbit that they uh, release so that the dogs chased that bunny rabbit. And on this particular occasion, the bunny exploded. (laughs) There was a mechanical error, and the bunny malfunctioned. And the dogs, uh, they were interested to observe the dog's behavior once they had nothing they were chasing. And one of three things happened. The dogs either sat down on the track and took a nap, Or they started howling out at the people in the stands. Or they were running disoriented and confused and would run into the fence and hurt and injured themselves. And so uh, it's important to know what you're chasing, right? A a, a good picture of this, uh, Chris Hodges' assessment of this story was a picture of humanity. If you're not chasing the right thing, you'll either take a nap, bark at somebody else, or hurt yourself. So maybe if you're busy judging everybody else around you, barking at your spouse, barking at your neighbor, uh, if you have no vision, purpose, excitement, passion in your life, um, or you're feeling pain, perhaps it's because you're chasing the wrong things. Perhaps it's because you aren't living in the purpose and plan that God has designed you for. Can I encourage you, though? That's not to beat you up. That's to say there's something better. There's something more that God has for you. Um, there was a time in my life I, I thought I would be canceled out for ministry. I didn't know that I would ever be able to get back in ministry to a certain season in my life. Um, But God can take your mistakes, he can take your failures, and he can turn them into testimonies to put you back where you're supposed to be. My husband said this before, you know, sometimes we take detours, but detours always come back to the path they originally intended to get you to. And so if you've fallen short, or maybe you've made mistakes or errors in your life, and you feel like that has discounted you or disqualified you for ministry, read your Bible. You're in good company of a lot of people that did great things for God that were total mess-ups, right, who had total failure in their life. God can redeem anything. So you're not so far past his grace that he can't still use you. Um, okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, come with me to First Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll skip down. We'll start in verse number 14. It's talking about the body of Christ. That's what I was saying earlier. No one person can do everything. We're not called to do everything. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12:14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, uh, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. I find that to be people who have disconnected with church. People have disconnected with community, they're a hand, they're a foot out there not able to be divinely connected. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Imagine a big old ear. How do you know it would be limited in what it could produce, right? If you were just an eye, if you were just a hand. And this is the picture of people in the body of Christ, your gifts and your callings coming together. Do you know a study was done recently and 85% of Christians acknowledge they don't know what part of the body they are. Imagine if 85% of your body didn't know what its function was. There's a thing called the Pareto principle, and it's 80/20 principle. It means 20% of people carry 80% of the weight of any organization or establishment, but that bleeds over into the church as well, and it should not be. I would love to see Oasis at 80/20. I'd love to see. I, I understand there's the 20%, but I'd love to see that flipped in Oasis. I'd love to see 80% of the people carrying the weight, not 20%. But statistically, that is pretty sure. Um, We have a responsibility to steward the gift that God has given us. Everybody say responsibility. I feel like probably one of the main reasons people don't understand their gift is because they don't take the responsibility to learn it. And we're trying to help you. We're Our staff, uh, we went to a conference last year, and we realized some areas we could grow and get better for our congregation to, to grow, learn and grow in the areas God's called them to. That growth track you heard Marquavius mention is a part of that. Uh, the first, it's very simple. The first class is discovering who we are and what we're about. The second class is discovering you and what you're about. The third class is discovering you doing what you're supposed to be about. Really, that's all that it is, three simple steps. So if today you're going, gosh, I don't know, take responsibility. There's gifts out there. There's spiritual gifts. That, well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But there's ways for you to discover. Go try something. It's okay. We, we, you don't have to be a success at every single thing. Go put your feet in the water. And if it's too cold, get out and find another lake. We'll find somewhere for you to fit because God has a plan and a purpose for you. But we have the responsibility to steward the gifts. Romans 11:29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That word, another translation says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. When I was young, I was like, what the heck does that mean? It's talking about God. God will not repent from what he's called you to. Specifically in context, he's, he's talking about his covenant with Abraham and the children of Israel, but it spreads to all of us that God will not repent from the gift and the calling and the assignment that he's placed on your life. What does that mean? That means when I stand before him, I will give an account for it and what I do with it. Who is getting awfully quiet in here. <laughs> the most significant thing you can do after salvation— is to discover your purpose. And the single, I think I have those points up there, and the single greatest roadblock to fulfilling your purpose is you not discovering it. It costs something. I admit, you know what, it's it's sometimes difficult to find what you're calling is. I feel for this generation. There's not clear paths. There's so many options out there. I knew I was called to preach from the time I was about seven years old. I preached my first sermon at 10. I'm not sure why any church would let a 10-year-old preach on a Wednesday night service, but they did. My mother became my booking agent and booked me at a little church down the street after that. Uh, My first sermon was literally out of the book of Revelation, which I wouldn't want to do today. So I don't know what I was thinking at 10 years old. Uh, But I got an offering. It was like $13.50, my first booking ever. Uh, One person got saved. I remember that. A girl I didn't like in school actually came to the altar and got saved. Uh, And I actually had a word of knowledge for an older woman that I was praying over that I remember like it was yesterday, that her unforgiveness is what was hindering her healing. At 10 years old, 10 years old, the Lord planted that seed to preach his gospel. So anybody could tell me anything. Women aren't supposed to preach. It doesn't matter to me. God called me to preach, and that supersedes man's opinion, right? Um, So, But you have that same thing. And I do feel troubled and have empathy for people who don't know what that is. Um, my kids growing up, when they were graduating from high school, had no clue what they wanted to do. No clue. A lot of people have no clue what they want to do. But can I tell you what? God has a plan and a purpose. And my encouragement to you today is start discovering what it is for your life. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. I, I believe there are primary and secondary places for us to serve. Your primary place is that thing that you do, that thing that you know God put in you. It's your assignment. You have to do it. The secondary thing is something that maybe you're not passionate about, but there's a need and you can do, so you do do. Ha, I said do do. No, that you will do. That's better, uh, right? Like I said, I served in children's ministry. Was I called to be a children's pastor? No, but there was a need. I'm a. I love to teach the word, so I'll teach the word to kids, right? Um, it doesn't start somewhere simple. Be a greeter at the door. If you don't know what it is, start doing something. Find a secondary place to serve, and out of that, you'll you'll find. I found that your gifts start to become uh, realized when you just start serving somewhere. But I won't lie to you; there is a cost. Uh, Romans chapter twelve. Paul speaking to the, Roman, the people of Rome, the churches of Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everybody say a living sacrifice. You know, in the old covenant, they sacrificed animals for worship and for repentance. There's all kinds of different types of sacrifices that they would make. We know that Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for sin and for salvation, but we are still sacrifices. Guess who's the sacrifice today? We are, we are called, that is our worship to God. In fact, he goes on to say that. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's kind of that transformation process um, of growing to be like him. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is what your worship to God is. is presenting yourself, your life, a living sacrifice to him. Can I be honest with you guys? No offense to anyone who I'm going to be visiting in India. But I personally have never wanted to go to India. I probably still would not choose to go to India. I have digestive problems. Their toilet situation is a little bit different than ours. Um, You were supposed to laugh at that. I mean, these are real facts, but these are real concerns that I have. I have a very sensitive smell sensor um, and don't do well with things that don't appeal to my smell sense. Um, but I was praying, not praying about anything. I was just praying in my bathroom, putting my makeup on, just having my daily time with the Lord. Worship you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Pray you bless my work today. Help me be sensitive to your spirit today. Nothing special, just, you know, me and the Lord, getting to know him, letting him get to hear from me. Out of nowhere, I just had this overwhelming sensation. Got to go to India. To which my first response was, hmm I don't want to go to India. <laughs> I love supporting India. I love sending missions to India. I don't want to go to India. You got to go. It was a knowing. I, it, was, it was it. It was done. If I'm a prisoner of the Lord and he says, you're going, guess what I do? I go. Not because I want to. No matter what the cost is, I want to go because I'm his. I belong to him. He bought me. And my life is not my own. It belongs to him. And the apostle Paul said this. I die daily. I don't get to do what I want to do every day. I die every day at the behest of my master, and whatever he wants me to do, I die to myself to serve him. So, yeah, there's things I would choose not to do. There's days I don't want to be in ministry. There's days that the thought of flipping hamburgers is appealing (laughs) just to have a task, you know. Don't have to deal with anybody, anything, right? I'm being real. Can I be honest? Can I be real with you today? There's days I don't want to do what I do. There's a cost to it. There's a sacrifice to it. There's a cost to loving people. There's a cost to loving God. There's a cost to loving life. There's things I've got to put into it for what I get out of it. Let your body be a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse number two, do not be conformed to this world. Here again, we see that transformation process. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get out of the way you act. Get out of the way you think so that you can look more like him. Um, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, this is that same grace, that endowment for ministry, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse number four, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. We need each other. So we, through many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Do you realize that we belong to each other? I belong to you, you belong to me. I promise you my husband did not want to show up to run that marathon today. I promise you he did not want to train for the past, I don't know how long, six months or so to be in this marathon today. Why did he do it? Well, a few years ago, his niece inspired him to go to a half marathon, and he said he'd never do it again. And now Cole and Perry and Nate all start putting the pressure on to get him to do it. So he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do it with you guys. But I promise you, he would not have gotten up to train. He would not have done all the stuff he's been doing. He would not have gone out and run in the rain today had he not showed up for somebody else. Being a part of a team. There's days I don't want to come to rehearsal. There's days I don't want to come to church at 7.30 in the morning. There's days my team don't want to come here at 7.30 in the morning or come to rehearsal. Why do we come? Because we depend on each other. Because we belong to each other. Because I need them and because they need me. And if you're not a part of a team or community or a mission where you're needed and you need others, then you're missing out. Well, I don't want to. That costs too much. Does it, though? Does it, though? Because I would submit to you what it's costing you is joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment and peace that goes beyond anything you can understand. Is there a cost? Yeah, but there's also a cost the other way. There's a cost when you don't do your purpose. There's a cost when you don't fulfill the commission of God on your life. And I tell you, the first one pays in much better dividends. I tell, I tell some of our young people, uh, especially some of our junior staffers, don't be jealous when you see God's blessing on my life. Like, don't be envious. I, can I tell you, I, I am so blessed. I'm one of the most blessed people I know. But really, it's only one reason I'm so blessed. Because I, I do and live what I'm teaching you today. Now, I don't always get it right. I don't always get it perfect. I get bad attitudes, and I don't show up sometimes when I should. Uh, I, I'm human and all that. But I committed my life. I remember, um, sorry. I remember, uh, I wasn't raised with a lot of of uh, money. A lot of things we were—I wouldn't say we were poor, but we just kind of were hand to mouth each month. So a a judgment in my heart was: this will never be me when I get older. I will, I will do something so that I don't live this way with myself and my family. So I want to be a Broadway star. You know, that was my big dream: go sing on Broadway. And I'd walked away from the Lord. I I told you I preached at 10 years old, but from the age of 11 to about 16 were pretty much my college years. I just went off the rails, no boundaries, and from 11 to 16 pretty much lived what a college student would, uh, who was just kind of doing their own thing. Made really bad choices, did some poor, you know, ungodly things. But at the age of 15, my mother and I went to visit, visit our siblings in Tennessee, my siblings, who were in Bible college that my husband, Billy, had gone to. And then they also joined the drama company that my husband was a co-founder of. And we went there to visit. And I was sitting on the back row in the church, rebelling against God, not wanting anything to do with God. And the pastor preached on a backslidden heart, a heart who had once belonged to the Lord but had turned the other way. And he could have just been talking right to me, sitting across the table. And, of course, they had the altar call, and I was too prideful, had tons of pride. I'm not going to the altar but on that back row, that wood pew, I said to the Lord, I'm back. I hear you, and I'm back. I give everything that I am belongs to you. From that point on, I committed. I was still not doing—I was still making some poor choices, you know, still not making the best decisions. But I was, I was one foot here, one foot here, and eventually got where I had two feet here. But along that journey, um, when I felt called to go into ministry before I graduated high school, I felt called to go into full-time ministry. And um, that's a whole journey I don't have time to get into. But I was taking a vacation with um, some family members before I went into the full-time ministry. And I remember they took me, for some reason they had to go to their bank and do some stuff. And while at their bank they were putting something in their safety deposit box. And as a fifth, I might have been 16, I was 16 at that time. uh, I remember looking inside their deposit boxes and there was like, Tons of silver, tons of diamonds, tons of like bonds, like lots of money. And they were trying, not through that, but at that time were trying to encourage me to come live with them instead. Uh, You know, it's crazy. You tell someone you're 16 and you're going to do high school part-time and go into ministry full-time. They think you're crazy. So they wanted me to come live with them. And I remember sitting there with this choice before me. I could come here, learn their ways, probably go on a successful career path, or I can go in the ministry. And there was a song at the time that says, Lord, you are more precious than silver. You are more costly than gold. You are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. So if you look at my life and see the blessing of God on my life, understand it is because of a personal covenant he made with me. Years later, Billy and I were traveling on the road. We lived in a trailer. We paid $75 a month for lot fee. Um, we got our food from the food pantry at our church. No money. I mean, we were poor as dirt. Driving on the road in a conversion van, church to church, just going on a love offering basis. And we stayed in someone's home. And uh, our, it was a beautiful home on this beautiful lake. They had a hot tub out by the lake. And so they blessed Billy and I, I to stay there for a few nights. And I remember sitting... Billy had gone in a little early, and I was sitting there, and a sadness came over me. I'm like, Lord, I, you know, I committed my life to you, and I live in a trailer, and I'm on the road serving you, and I would love this. I would just love a hot tub in the back of my house, in the back of my trailer. <laughs> Nothing wrong with living in a trailer. I'm not knocking that. It just wasn't a dream I had for my life. Um, and so uh, I, I was sad, and in that moment, The Lord spoke to me and He said, If you will take care of building my kingdom, I'll take care of yours. So when you see the blessing of God on my life, when I see the blessing of God on your life, I'm not going to judge that because I know the Lord is faithful to His promises. And yep, I got a hot tub right outside my bedroom door. Right? God honors sacrifice. Our culture understands nothing about sacrifice. Nothing about giving, nothing about self-denial. In fact, we live in a culture of total consumerism, and we expect that's going to fill us up. We expect that that will fill us up. There was a, uh, a survey that was done by a woman named Carolyn Swartz, and uh, she was a part of a university, university of Massachusetts medical school. Say that five times fast. She started her research to see if receiving monthly peer support phone calls from fellow multiple sclerosis sufferers would benefit others with the disease. But over time, a surprising trend emerged. While those receiving support appeared to gain some mild benefits, the real beneficiaries were those lending a supportive ear. In fact, those who offered support experienced dramatic improvement in their quality of life several times more than those who were the receivers of the phone call. It is just proven scientific data that proves those who give of themselves are much happier, much blessed people. She went on to discover, she did another survey of 2,000 most, mostly healthy Presbyterian churchgoers across the nation and found that those who helped others were significantly happier and less depressed than those who don't. Another example was data that was collected every decade on a group of San Francisco Bay Area residents that began in the 1930s. Those who volunteered and engaged in other forms of giving when they were adolescents were much less likely to become depressed when they got older. I'm telling you part of the problem in our culture is that we're not teaching our children and our youth and we ourselves don't understand the joy of sacrifice. New research suggests there may be a biochemical explanation for positive emotions associated with doing good. There was a brain scan that uh, brains were monitored by MRI scans while people made decisions about donating part of their research payment to charitable organizations. When participants chose to donate money, the brain's mesolimbic system was activated, the same part of the brain that activates in response to monetary rewards, sex, and other positive that right there has got some of you motivated to go, go start serving. What? Okay, you missed that. You missed that. <laughs> the same part of the brain that's activated in response to monetary rewards, sex, and positive stimuli happens when you become a giver. Uh, choosing to donate activated the brain's subgenual area, uh, the part of the brain that produces feel good chemicals like oxytocin and that promotes social bonding. Physiological things happen in your body when you become a person who learns to give and to sacrifice. Our culture tends to associate happiness when getting, with getting something when the exact opposite is true, is fact, and is scientifically proven. I find in our culture we're very much like the Dead Sea. I'm moving to close here. You know, the problem with the Dead Sea is it can't bear life because there's no outlet that actually no longer has tributaries flowing into it and it has always not had an outlet. So nothing can grow there other than micro, microbial life. But life can't be sustained there because it's constantly taking in, constantly taking in with nothing flowing out. And I find that a lot of people live their lives that way. We're constantly taking in, constantly taking in with no outflow. And I want to suggest to you, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, worried, overcome, exhausted, tired, evaluate your giving percentage of your life, how much you're pouring into others. And I think that you'll find if you begin to do that, you'll see a difference. There's a song back in the, I think the 80s, by Amy Grant called Fat Baby. It says, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You can never tell. He might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He saved and that's all that mattered to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets a spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best, gives his language a spiritual rest, just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle. He doesn't mean maybe. He's sampled solid foods once or twice. He says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible In John 3:16, He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's a mama's boy. And he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him, I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. And I think this is a problem in the church today. We have a lot of people that actually get fed, but we don't do anything with it. In fact, Jesus gave a parable about a wise man and a foolish man. Wisdom didn't prevent the storms from coming. Wisdom caused the man's house to stand after the storms came. But the difference in the wise man and the foolish man was one was a hearer of the word only. That was the foolish man. And the wise man was a hearer and a doer. He put into motion what he heard. So how do I do this? How do I do this? Second Timothy 1.6 says to stir up the gift of God that is within you. Paul said that to Timothy. I encourage you to stir up the gift or to fan into flame, another translation says. Anybody ever had a fire go low? What do you do? You're breathing on it. Why? To get the oxygen into it, to get it activated. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. And some of you, that flame is lying dormant. That gift is lying dormant. And you might be like, I don't know how. How do I start to fan in that flame? I'm going to give you your next step. Show up at our growth track. Show up at our growth track on February 1st. I think it's that Wednesday. Um, Discover more about who we're about, what we're doing, what you're about, what you're supposed to be doing, and then get at it. That would be a good next step for you. Uh, and in that class, we'll assess different things. This Rick Warren gave us acrostic to help people discover what they're called to do. It's the acrostic shape S H A P E, and the S would be your spiritual gifts. We have a spiritual gift. You'll have in that class a test, an assessment. Um, your heart. What are your passions? What moves you the most? What angers you the most? Where's your passion? What is your heart? What are your abilities? I have a lot of people I audition that have a heart to sing, but they don't necessarily have the ability. So having the ability does matter, especially in some areas. Um, your personality. Well, how are you wired? How did God design your personality? Um, and what are your experiences? Particularly, what are your painful experiences? Because God can use the stories of your life so that you can be empowered to help others. All these things work together for God to work through you something wonderful and something great. Um, let me see. I think I already did that. I already did that. Uh, look with me here real quick. Um, I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to close. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And I want to ask you today, do you know that aim? Do you have that rabbit in front of you? Do you have that dream that you're chasing? And maybe you're like, I chased some dreams and they didn't turn out so well. Could I invite you just to recommit? Maybe it wasn't the right thing, right time. Uh, The Lord's put some things on my heart I've been dreaming about for a long time that I'm actually realizing I'm not prepared at all for. So I've got some action plans in place that I'm I'm taking steps. I'm stirring that gift up. I'm doing the things I need to do to get that part of my ministry activated, prepared, and ready. I love, uh, if you don't know this, Pastor Andy started a, uh, a podcast uh, called First Adam. It's a, he has a strong calling and passion to reach men, to speak to men on a real level about God's influence in their life. Um, and you know what? It's a lot of cost in that. There's a lot of sacrifice in that. There's a lot of planning and preparation in that. But he's doing it. So what are you doing First, you might go, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. If you don't know what your specific design is, then fall somewhere into the general call. We're all called the wind souls. We're all called to be planted in the house of the Lord and serve somewhere. Um, And we'll help you find somewhere to serve. If you don't know the primary, start somewhere in the secondary. I strongly encourage you to do that. Go to our growth track. But I want you to know that that seed is in you. That potential energy is in you. The Spirit of God is in you, and He wants you to access that part of you so that you can be fulfilled and so that you can help others. So would you bow your heads with me? As I said earlier, the first step in all of this is to know Jesus, to know God. And if you're here today and and you've never taken that first step, it might be news to you that God had a purpose in mind with your life, a design in mind for your life. If that's you and you feel him calling you today, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand and you can pray that prayer and enter this beautiful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Anybody at all? And secondly, I want to speak to those of you who are like, I'm just not good enough. I'm not clean enough. Uh, I'm not sanctified enough. I I don't look enough like Jesus to represent him anywhere. That's a lie from the enemy. And maybe you're dealing with some things and you're beating yourself up in condemnation because you're not as much like him as you wish you would be or should be. Can we just speak to that today? That you don't have to be perfect. And if you feel like you're out of the race or you don't have what you need for the race, let's just debunk that right now and just say, Lord, regardless of where I am, I'm going to strive for that transformation. I'm going to pray to be more like you. I'm going to connect so I can become more like you and discover the areas that aren't like you so I can grow in. I want that transformation in my life, Lord. I want to look like you. I want to act like you. I want to talk like you, Lord. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I got some areas in my life that feel I'm disqualified, but I want to be qualified for ministry and I'm going to take ownership and responsibility for that. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, if you're in this place today and you would say, I'm not serving. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I want to do something. And today you're going to commit to that discovery journey of what it is you're supposed to do. And if you know what it is you're supposed to do and you're not doing, you're going to commit to start doing it. Do something. Do something somewhere. And again, if you don't know where to start, then your next step is to come to our growth track and start there. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to know my gift and serve in the gift that God has called me. Amen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your spirit that's in this place and that dwells in each of us, Lord. And so right now in Jesus' name, for those who don't know you, Lord, would you pray this with me? Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I recognize I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he rose again and has prepared me for eternity. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Lord, for those who are um, maybe feeling disqualified from ministry because they don't know you, uh, as they want to know you, or they don't uh, emulate you in the way they want to emulate you, Lord. I just pray a spirit of condemnation off of them in the name of Jesus. Any lion spirit that's been assigned against them to withhold, Lord, or to hold them back, Lord, from doing what you've called them to do, I just take authority over that in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that today you would put in them the courage to step out, to grow like you, to know you better so that they can... Uh, Uh, be transformed into your image, Lord God. I pray that that hunger would start today, Lord, that the connections with the right people would begin here today in the name of Jesus. And Father, I also pray for those who want to serve you and are looking to do Uh, what you've called them to do, Lord, that you would just begin to make divine appointments, that you would begin to wake up the seed and the potential that's on the inside of them, Lord, that you would begin to stir the passion. Father, right now in Jesus' name, as they've raised their hands, I pray that that would be the beginning of stirring the gift of God within themselves, Lord, fanning into flame the gift that you've already deposited on the inside of them, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I really hope God moved in your heart today. And if you're in the Scottsdale area, I'd love for you to come and visit our campus on one of our Sunday services. You can find details to our service times on our website. I also want to thank our faithful givers. By giving towards our podcast, you're able to help us reach people from all over the world for Christ and fulfill the mission of Oasis, which is to love God, love life, and love people. God bless.